0: Well, good afternoon. If you would like to go ahead and take out your Bibles, we'll be looking at them in just a moment as we continue a look that we started earlier in the year. We have started in this series to attempt to show the the importance, the power, the effect that faith in Jesus has in giving us victory. Victory over such things as sin, certainly, the, the ensnarement that sin provides in our lives, the captivity that sin is. Uh, Jesus, faith in Jesus gives us victory over that. But we've also looked at, at things that are oftentimes a reflection or a side effect of sinful thinking, things such as anxiety. And now a lot of things that we've looked at aren't sin and of themselves, but they can be a hindrance to us when it comes to our relationship with God and our our walk with Him. And so we want to know what tools we have in overcoming such things. And over and over again, we have seen that this faith in Jesus has the ability to give us victory in these areas. Anxiety is when we looked at. We looked at boredom, the idea of looking at our lives and, and uh, having a, a selfish attitude of what's, uh, what is there, there's nothing for me to do. And when we have a faith in Jesus, when we understand the, the gravity and the scope of His mission and His will, that there's always something For the Christian to be doing. We sing that song, there is room in the kingdom. We also sing in that song, there is work that we all can do. And so faith in Jesus helps us to overcome these things. And I'm persuaded that in truth, faith is the victory. As we read in 1 John 5, verses 4 through 5, in overcoming the world and overcoming anything that it might throw our way. And this afternoon, I hope to illustrate during this study that faith is the victory in defeating despair. Despair is this idea of hopelessness, and it is a serious problem. It is not something to just be taken lightly. Sometimes we find out uh, people who are dealing, who are living in despair, and, and just kind of, well, I hope, I hope they get better. And it, it's just something that we all go through. But despair actually is a very serious problem because it's damaging to our health. It is damaging to our society, but probably more fearful than all that, it is damaging to the relationship that we have with God. So as Christians, we should seek to eradicate and remove despair from our lives. We also need to be a type of people that are trying to remove despair from the lives of others as well. So let me begin, as we have done with the rest of these, in in sharing some of the things that I've learned during my, my study for this, and help us to better understand what despair is. Now, according to the American Heritage Dictionary, despair is to lose all hope. To be overcome by a sense of futility or defeat or a complete loss of hope. In other words, why we can, it's what we understand, it's hopelessness. <coughs> and some of those synonyms besides hopelessness include words like despondency or discouragement. In fact, I, I, I was, I, I like this quote that I read by Mark Twain. Mark Twain said uh, when he's speaking about despair, he was describing, and he says a time when one's spirit is subdued. A time when one's spirit is sad, when one knows not why, the past, storm, uh, the past seems a storm swept desolation, life a vanity and a burden, and the future but a way to death. It's easy to see how, when someone is in despair, when they have abandoned all hope, that that truly is what life is it is vanity, it is pointless. And and the future is nothing but an inevitable death that we will all, all have. And yet, for the Christian, we talked about this morning, that the future and death is not the end, but rather a beginning and the, the hope that we have through the resurrection. And certainly that will come up again during this study. But we need to understand in, in dealing with despair that it is very dangerous. That can start to be seen in that quote that, uh, from Mark Twain, But there's also some other things that despair that we need to understand because despair takes a toll in many aspects of our lives. The first one I want to look at is in society. Despair has a great effect on not just society in general, but the directs society around us. There was a study done uh, at the University of Missouri-Columbia Health Sciences Center. And during the study, researchers looked uh, to see whether there was a link between people who lived in a hopeless situation and the effects that it had on their lives. And what they found was there was a link between specifically poor behavior in children and hopelessness or despair. One of the things reported from the study is that children with a high level of hopelessness tend to engage in harmful and destructive behavior towards themselves and towards others. And you know it doesn't. Take a rocket scientist to see that. We have seen that in the lives of many broken homes when children look and and their parents maybe are absent or are are there but they're not providing them what they need and and they look to their future and, and they don't see much to be hopeful for. What is there for me? And we see them turn to things such as drugs and alcohol. I have to find something to fill this huge void that's in my life because I have nothing there. We see them turn to things that are damaging to the body, to, to, to cutting themselves, and to, to causing harm to others, and bullying other people, and yes, even to suicide. But we also found, or they also found during the study that children that, that grew up in hopeless situations tended to, be <clears throat> tended to be defiant. They weren't likely to obey the rules. They weren't uh, likely to, maybe at younger ages, to take turns, to share. And they were more prone to doing things such as skipping school and acting out. Because again, what's the point? What is the point if there there is no hope for me, if I have no chances? In fact, the researchers were quoted as indicating hopelessness may be an indicator for children and teens who are prone to act out in antisocial or aggressive Behavior. Now that's that's a little bit of what science says on the impact of hopelessness on our society. Whenever people are in hopeless situations, you don't tend to get the best from their, those people because they don't feel like there is any point in giving our best. I can't win. There's no getting ahead. We've heard these words used over and over again by people who have uh, maybe live in. In situations that, that aren't the best, to describe them, you know, maybe not in the best way. But we also need to see that science has also shown us that there is a direct impact with hopelessness and despair on our own physical health. A study done back, this is a little bit dated, but it was done in August of 1997, And it was recorded in a magazine that I have absolutely no point reading, and therefore I'm probably going to pronounce these words very wrong, other than to study for this sermon. And that was the magazine's Arterosclerosis, Thrombosis, and Vascular Biology. That's a mouthful of words. But what they put in that magazine was that that hopelessness, living in despair, has the same detrimental effect on the heart as smoking a pack of cigarettes. What they found, and this was a quote from one of the people in the study, Dr. Susan A. Everson, she said, a high level of hopelessness exasperates the atherosclerotic process in middle-aged men. Huh? What does that mean? Ultimately, in, in my terms, I had to look up a layman's term for this, that means it increases the thickness of the arterial walls. It increases the likelihood of stroke, of heart attack. All of this is stuff we said. well, we know that comes from, from from alcohol, and we know that comes from cigarettes, and we know that comes from all these different things, but despair, the feeling of hopelessness. And you know that while that may be a shock to us today, it hasn't always been a shock. You might see people who who lived in circumstances that just seemed without hope. Maybe suffered a great loss. Something like Job lost a a child, lost a a loved one, lost uh, so much, and and they were just filled with hopelessness, and then not too long later, they passed away, and what do people, they look at that and they say, they died from a broken heart. That's the effect despair has. We might have used that and thought, well, that's just a saying. Science has proven that. It's possible to die from a broken heart, because despair affects that part of our body but maybe more fearful than the toll that society faces from despair, more fearful than the the toll that our physical health faces from despair, is the toll that our spiritual health faces from despair. It's been described to some as despair being, in some ways, a slap in the face to God. And you can begin to understand why that is. Turn over to Colossians chapter (coughs) 1. Colossians chapter 1 In verse 27, Paul writes to them, God willed to make known what are the riches of the glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God was willing to make known this mystery. What was the mystery? Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. To be in despair, to be in total hopelessness is to say, God, you're wrong. Christ is supposed to be that hope of glory, but He's not. Not for me. Not for the circumstances that I am in. Now certainly people don't, don't, usually don't say something like that. They don't come out and use those words. But to be, <clears throat> to be overcome with, with despair, is to either not realize or not care about the fact that God's Son came to provide hope, was revealed to provide hope. Some, some words of wisdom, but not scriptural wisdom. Uh, a man by the name of Owen Feltham said, he that despairs degrades God. Whenever we look at a life around us, Our circumstances say there is no hope for this. Ultimately, we're saying is these problems are somewhere above the, the ability, the power of God to draw us out of them. We are raising them up and bringing God down. Charles L. Allen said, "When you say when you say a situation or a person is hopeless, you are slamming the door in the face of God." See, also oftentimes we. We are quick to say, yes, God God is able to pull us through very difficult situations, but but that guy or that girl or that person over there, they're without hope. They're, they're, They're a lost cause. There's no helping them. Again, what we're doing is saying the power that God has to save the gospel, it's not powerful enough to help that person. a man by the name of Jeremy Taylor, back in the 1600s. He said, it's impossible for that man to despair who remembers that his helper is omnipotent, who remembers who God is. It's one thing that I've been fascinated with the this, this study of Nehemiah that I've been doing, is that Nehemiah saw a problem, and he didn't immediately go, I've got the solution. But he did immediately realize who God is. God is able to provide a problem or a solution for this problem. He is bigger than this problem. He is the one that I need to go to first. Before I go to the drawing board, before I go to gather the troops, I need to go to Him first and realize that it is only through Him that this problem can be solved. When we remember who God is, then it's impossible to truly be without hope, to be in despair. And the fact is, as, as one unknown author said, he that is fallen cannot help him that is down. Psalms wrote something, or excuse me, the Proverbs wrote something very similar to that. Whenever we are filled with despair, we're not going to be able to help ourselves. We're not going to be able to help those around us. What kind of light are we going to be to the world? when we are swallowed with hopelessness. The pervasiveness of despair in our society is in fact reflected by the words of Thoreau who said the mass of men lead lives of quiet desperation. But another author said there is no hopeless situation. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. And one more, Charles Swindle. He said surrendering to despair is man's favorite pastime. Now, here in about, I don't know, three hours, there's going to be some other people that probably argue with you. Our favorite pastime is the Super Bowl. But the favorite pastime of man, according to Charles Swindle, is surrendering themselves to despair. But God offers a better plan. It takes effort to grab it. It takes faith to claim it. And with that quote, I fully agree. And I wish now to help us consider how we can defeat despair Through that plan that God offers, through faith in Jesus, and the first thing we need to understand is Jesus provides hope for the hopeless. He provides what the hopeless are missing—that thing that they—I must feel that void. Jesus provides the puzzle piece that fits in that hole. One, He does it through His teachings. Look over at Matthew chapter six. In Matthew chapter six, in verse (coughs) thirty, Jesus is reminding. Those around him, he says, Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Look what he was saying here. When, when people are filled with despair, they're saying there is no hope. But Jesus in his teaching would say to them, Look around you. Look at the grass that has hope. Even though, even though it can't tell you about it, it is provided for. God cares for that grass. He would also talk about the the lilies of the field and the birds of the air. He would go on to say in chapter 7 and verse 11, say, if you, then being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask Him? Now, yes, we can look around us and see countless examples of, of parents who are not being good parents. But it's also not very hard for us to look around us and see parents who when their children are thirsty, when their children are sick, when their children are scared, will do what they can to try and help them. And Jesus once again reminds those around Him, say, you understand that a physical parent will take care of their children. How much more so the heavenly Father will He take care of His children? And in chapter 10, verse 29 through 31, <clears throat> He says, there are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin. He's talking about the the significance of the sparrow. They're not worth anything. A single copper coin will buy you two sparrows, and yet not one of them falls to the ground apart from your Father's will. The very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not fear, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. Over and over again, what is Jesus' teachings proclaiming? That God cares for you. And He is providentially providing for you, Isn't that not the message that we find throughout the scriptures, but especially in the book of Revelation? A people that, that felt hopeless. Look what's going on around us. And over and over again, the message was God sees what you're going through. God is providing a way. He's providing an answer to your pleas. Now, yes, some of those pleas included, just let us live. And yes, sometimes the answer to that prayer was No. But even in death, you are taken care of. God cares for you. And He is providing for you. What's more important? To extend your life here on this earth? Or to provide an eternal life with me in heaven? God cares for His children. But also, Jesus taught in passages such as Luke 15, chapter chapter 15, verse 7. That it wasn't just those that were, were righteous, those that were pious, those that were faithful that God cared for. In Luke 15, verse 7, He says, "...I say to you that likewise there will be, no more, uh, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance." That's why we get passages like John chapter 3. And there's a reason why John chapter 3 is one of the most well-known verses in the Scripture. Because it speaks of the love of God not for the holy, not for the well-to-do, not for the highfaluting, not for, for the people that seem like they deserve it. It is for the world, in verse 16, that He gave His only begotten Son, and whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. And He sent His Son into the world not to condemn it, but that it might be saved. He didn't send His Son to enact wrath upon the world. And yes, even though the world, when when His Son came into it, despised Him and crucified Him, He came so that they might have hope. Not when they had earned it, but when they are sinners. When they were an enemy to God. Jesus' teachings over and over again, providing hope for the hopeless, is this. God loves you like that song that we teach the children. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Jesus' teachings over and over again teach us that exact message. That God loves you, but also He promises to us. And His promises provide hope. Look over in John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Jesus answered, talking to the woman at the well. He said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst But the water that I shall give him will become to him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. He promises to provide that water of eternal life. In in chapter 6, keeping with this same vein of thought, he says to them in verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. And in fact, in chapter 10, kind of wrapping all of these things together, He says, therefore, or or excuse me, he says, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I have come that they may have life and they may have it more abundantly. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that I am am promising you. I'm not talking about how nice it would be. I'm not talking to, to think about the possibility. I am promising you that there is a life more abundant than the life that you live now. There is a life where you will never thirst again. There is a life where you will never hunger again. You will never have the needs and and, and suffer the things that you suffer today. And there is a life abundant. And we we talked about in class this morning, that idea of eternal life and that eternity. Our our finite minds can't, can't grasp that concept. It exists outside of time. But maybe one of the better ways to describe it is just how Jesus described it here. It is a life abundant, abundant with joy, abundant with hope, because it is a life surrounded by the Father. That's what He promises us. Another promise that He makes, we talked about extensively this morning, was the promise of a resurrection. In John chapter 11, we didn't read these verses. He's speaking to Martha. He says, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to Him, I know that He will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in Me, though he may die, he shall live, and whoever lives and believes in Me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to Him, Yes, Lord, I believe that You are the Christ, the Son of, the, Son of God, who is to come into the world. He promises a life, a resurrection, not an end, but a beginning. And in just over a few verses in chapter 14, he makes another promise. He says, let your heart not be troubled. It's almost as if he's speaking to this problem. Do not be in despair. Do not be, do not be without hope. If you believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus promises a life far more abundant. Jesus promises a life after death. Jesus promises a life in a mansion with God, with Him for eternity. But Jesus does more than just have have big talk. Jesus also shows us hope through his actions. He was willing to go to the cross. Something that we can tell through his prayer that that he wasn't just jumping up and down to experience. Pray, God, if if it be possible, please let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. I don't want to be humiliated. I don't want to be nailed to a cross. I don't want to have a spear riven in my side. But God, if that's your will, that's the plan. I'm on board. I'm going to follow it. And that death on the cross provides great hope for us because it was through that shed blood, through that sacrifice that we have the hope of forgiveness. But if it had ended there, if that story stopped in the borrowed grave of a rich man, if Jesus was never resurrected, if Jesus never came forth from that grave, then our hope dies with Him because it proves that He was not the Son of God. He was just another man like you and like me. But think about how Paul, when he wrote to Timothy, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, speaking of God, our salvation, and Jesus Christ, our hope. He is our hope. Because as those women came On the third day, they found the stone rolled away. They found the grave empty. They found not just a man who had died, but a Savior, the Son of God, who had overcome death and provides hope for our very own resurrection because we are in His hands. If death can't hold Him back, what can it do to us when He is the one that holds its keys? Jesus provides hope for the hopeless, helping us to defeat despair and it is, in fact, through faith in Jesus that the Christian can have hope. We talked about this extensively this morning in regards to the resurrection. Acts chapter 24, verse 15, Paul says, I hope. I have hope in the resurrection. You're saying, I know. Sometimes we use that word hope like it's the word wish. We need to get out of that habit. Hope and wish are not the same thing. The boys wish for all sorts of stuff for their birthday. Madden's birthday's coming up and he's wishing for all sorts of things because he's not for sure how many of them he's going to get. And he's not in the room, so I can, I can say he's not going to get very many of, of what he's wishing for. We don't need to wish. We need to have hope. And think of the hope that Paul had. How oftentimes you hear people say, well, I hope. I hope that I'm going to heaven, as if they haven't attained that. As if it's, it's something that, that is so far out of, their, out of their ability. How did Paul speak about his hope of heaven? I have run the race. I have fought the fight. I know what's laid up for me in heaven. Paul spoke with confidence that God was faithful to His word. I have served Him. I have been buried with His Son. His blood covers me and I will have an eternity with Him in heaven. That wasn't arrogance. That was faith. That was trust in what God has said. And so as Christians, we can have a hope in God regarding that resurrection, a resurrection to glory. And we can rejoice in hope. Rejoice in hope regarding that glory to come. Turn over to Romans for a moment. Romans chapter 5. In Romans chapter 5 in verses 1 and 2. Paul says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God rejoice in the hope of the glory of god why well because of what he said in Revelation, in romans chapter four and you have to really go back to verse 13 and read about the promise to abraham and how when abraham was told you're going to have a child it was through faith that 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 it was accounted to him that in fact even though he he did not consider himself to be dead even though he was he was old he was about a hundred years old and the the his wife sarah he did not consider the deadness of her womb, as verse 19 said. Verse 20, he did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully convinced that what he was promised, he was also able to perform. When God said, you are going to have a child, and you are going to father many nations, there wasn't, there wasn't a wish list in, in Abraham. That's not a, that, oh man, boy, let's put that up on the bucket list. I, I, I really would like to see that happen someday. He knew. He was fully convinced that God had promised it. God is able to perform it. And therefore, verse 22, it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because, because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. That's the reason We can rejoice in hope because the links of which God has gone to to prove his faithfulness, to even send his son to die and to be raised again, we can rejoice in the hope of the glory that is to come. And verse 4 goes on to say, Hebrews chapter 5, verse 4, Romans chapter 5, verse 4, goes on to say, I apologize. I'm looking at my notes and I'm all cross-eyed. Romans 15 verse 4 goes on to say that the things that were written before were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Christians, through, through faith, the Christian can use the Scriptures to constantly replenish our hope. When we are beginning to feel a little bit hopeless, when we're shifting away from from a a hope-filled life to a wish-filled life, which ultimately leads to a life with, with nothing, when we're making that transition, we need to be digging back in to the promises that He has made, to the teachings that He has given us, to the proof, the evidence over and over again that our God is a faithful God. Our God is not a shifting shadow. And our God is a keeper of His Word. As Abraham said, if he has made the promise, he is able to perform on it. The Scriptures constantly fill us with hope. But so does the power of the Spirit. In the same chapter, chapter 15 down in verse 13, it says, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. He would say similarly in Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We can be filled, abounding, overflowing with hope through the faith that we have in Jesus. We begin to see how these things attack despair. How these things don't give despair a single foothold Within our hearts to do the, the ugly, damaging effects that it can have in our lives. The last one I want us to look at is found in First Thessalonians chapter 5. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, <coughs> Paul writes to the to, to the Thessalonians there about the need to be guarded against hope. That is something that we that is provided for us. It says in verse 8, let us who are of the day, be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. There's plenty of passages that this might call to our minds. Over in Ephesians chapter 6, the, the, the armor of God and the helmet of salvation that he speaks of here. That helmet of salvation is also our helmet of hope. Over in Philippians, he talks about being anxious for nothing, but in all things be thankful. Going to God in prayer. And what does he say? He says that through through, through such action, through our prayers, through our trusting in God, through our thankfulness in God, he guards our hearts. Whenever we feel despaired, whenever we feel Satan creeping into our hearts to say, look at the circumstances, there is no hope. There's no getting beyond this. This This is as far as you can go. This is a mountain you can't climb. It's time for us to start praying to God that he put up that fence. We sang this morning, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. You start guarding my heart. And God says, I will. You trust in me. You have faith in me. I will protect you. I will guard you from, that, from, that, uh, uh, from the attacks, the, the flaming darts of Satan. We need to put on that helmet, that helmet of hope. It has been said that life with Christ is an endless hope. Life with, without Christ is a hopeless end. For those who are in Christ, they have every reason to have hope. And for those who are outside of Christ, well, we can we can begin to understand why there is oftentimes so much despair. But we are charged as Christians to hold fast to our hope. Hebrews three verse six. But Christ as a son. Uh, but Christ as a son over his own house whose house we are if we hold fast the confidence and the rejoicing of the hope firm to the end. We've got to get a grip on that and never let go. Hebrews 10, 23, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who, is, who promised is faithful. That's Abraham that he's describing there. We need to be described the same way. And for good reason, Hebrews 6, verse 19, the hope that we have is an anchor of the soul. Both sure and steadfast. Satan wants us to be directing our attention to the waves, to to the clouds, the howling wind, the storms of life. He wants us to look at the circumstances. And God over and over again wants us to put trust in that anchor that we have dropped. That anchor is our hope. The hope that we can have in Christ. Through faith in Jesus, we can hold fast to our hope. Through faith in Jesus, we can gain victory. One more quote, and then we will, we will wrap all this up. This one comes from old Bill Shakespeare, and he didn't oftentimes hit the nail on the head, but he was quoted as saying, God be praised that to believing souls gives light in darkness and comfort in despair. Whenever we fully understand, when we fully trust in the power of God, the power to raise a sinner up out of the depths of that snare and to lift them up to a place of glory reserved for the King of kings and the Lord of lords, to be with Him in eternity, What great light that can be in our darkness, and what great comfort that can bring our souls. This this afternoon, if you have not yet become a child of God, then the despair, the the tools that God gives to those who are, are struggling with despair, they are available, but they are not yet attained. The hope that we have as Christians only comes when we fully belong to Him to belong to Christ, to be in Christ, is to be buried with Him in His death. It is not just to believe that He exists. James points out that even the, the demons believe. And they tremble. It is not just to be willing to say to all the world that we believe, but to be willing to be changed. And that change begins in our heart. As God, through baptism, removes the sin from our lives and conveys us out of the kingdom of Satan, the kingdom of the world, into His kingdom. As Paul said, we are citizens of heaven. He spoke as if He had already attained it. He spoke as if He was already there because He had a hope. And you can have that hope too this evening. If there's any way in which we can help you in becoming a child of God or if you have already done so but in some way uh, allowed yourself to, to fall, to, to stumble in that walk, And we'd like to confess that to the saints here. We are here to assist. We are here to provide the love that God provides for us, and we would desire to do so. Please come forward right now as we stand and as we sing.